0: and listen in to her warm Scottish tones, wise heart, and wonderful sense of humour as she interviews guests and discusses what it means to be unashamedly human.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to the Unashamedly Human podcast. This week I have Phil Goddard with me. Phil is a leadership and relationship coach and he's also the founder and the host um, of his own podcast called The Coaching Life. And what I know about Phil is superficial conversations just won't cut it. Like me and your coaching conversations, it appears to me, Phil, that you want raw, deep, loving connection with your podcasts and your guests. But can you tell the listeners, what else is there to know about you?
0: Oh, my goodness. I had to dive right in. Yeah. You know, I don't superficial conversations if if providing we know that's what's going on really Um, looks like that's all part of life to me um what do you know about me okay um i guess i that's hard it's kind of difficult to even answer that because i am very much an open book i i like if if i'm going to describe myself to somebody Or I imagine how somebody might describe me, I guess I'm this kind of like slightly overweight uh, guy who likes to travel and enjoys fine food and is in love with Greece and California and also has some kind of knack of helping people by simply loving them and um, helping them see the lenders through which they see the world.
1: (laughs) it's it's always strange isn't it to be put on the spot like that you know Mm. people say you know who are you and what do you do and always i i find it terribly amusing phil you know when you're speaking to people and they know that you're a coach you know whether it's a whatever kind of coach title you put on yourself and they say to you well what is it you do
0: (laughs) yeah what is it car i i can't tell you how many times that um in conversations that we delve into that kind of question Mm. Um, and uh, I, sometimes I think it's really important to understand that, um, and other times I think it's just an irrelevant distraction that gets in the way of us um, doing what we want to do.
1: Mm. Now, when I mentioned it earlier, Phil, I was talking about you know having a listen to your your podcast, um, and guys, please check it out: "The Coaching Life" by Phil Goddard. The conversations that Phil is having are. They certainly ain't superficial. He, his line of questioning is, is gentle. It's loving, but it seems to really penetrate through, any kind of um, superficiality that we might want to have in a conversation. And and that's why I really wanted Phil to be a guest on on my podcast, because you know as I said earlier, like Phil. I want to know the deepest parts of you. I want to know what's happening inside your soul. And Phil talks about love a lot. And and, and love is one of those words that was basically a noun that people use a lot, but they don't embody. So Phil, tell me about your coaching practice.
0: Hmm. Um, it does sometimes feel like I get paid just to simply love people. And I know that probably sounds very cliche as well. I I mean, I hear, uh, in in fact, I guess it's no accident really. Maybe it's a happy accident. A lot of my guests say pretty much the same thing. Um, because there's such, there seems to be such power in that, in stripping through all of the ideas that we have about life, Even the ideas about how life works, let alone how we think life should actually be. I think even once we come to an understanding of um, how we think life works, it's also useful to see that that really can only ever be an idea. So my coaching practice um, is very much about helping people to see how we only ever live and see through our ideas, our beliefs, the lenses. Um, and rather than creating new ones, which, you know, that works sometimes. We can see, well, I can look at life this way. I can look at life that way. Which way kind of feels better? Which way has benefits for me? But really fundamentally in just people, helping people to understand what's going on in, in, inside themselves, Um, what's going on, how they're creating their experience of life, how they're indeed, they're creating their experience of, of love. So like, I guess, I I mean, I had quite a, uh, had a conversation with a a guy that some of your listeners might know of, Dick and Benninger, I had a conversation with him about a year ago and, um, (laughs) you and I have been around like this three principles understanding for quite some time. Right. And, and I'm, I guess I had like my, although I didn't know it at the time, um, as the three principles, uh, I kind of had my big insight into the nature of our experience around about 2003.
1: Mm.
0: And yeah, just in that conversation last year with Dickon, it even helped me to see that some of the ideas I had around love, um, just to see the nature of those and how I made up some of those ideas are. Mm so yes i i do i still do talk a lot about love and yes yeah, just like that's the most natural answer to your question what's my coaching practice look like i mean I, I love people i work with all kinds of different people in all walks of life i mean really all walks of life um but fundamentally <laughs> we keep we do keep coming back to this one idea mm. um and and that is the i the idea of love I would say previous to that conversation with Dick and I would never recognize that as an idea. So that, that kind of rocked my world. Um, had me crawl into a cave for a little while, actually. <laughs> the, it's
1: like, oh my God. Why did <laughs> yeah. it have you crawling into a cage for a while? Uh, sorry? Why did it have you crawling into a cage uh, for a while? Because,
0: you know, like fundamentally, I thought I got it. I thought I understood it, which, you know, mm. floor at that, can't we? Um, <laughs> uh, and yet... Uh, it was. I don't even know whether Dickens really did say this one line to me. I've mentioned this before on my podcast. Um, but what I, what I hear him say when I think about it is something like, Phil, even your most noble ideas about love have you suffer. Um, and we just, I just reflected on that, and I still reflect on that, in that I just see the made-up nature of absolutely everything. Mm. Like we have this thing called life. That's just unfolding. That's just going on. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then we come along and try and add meaning to absolutely everything, Mm -hmm. absolutely everything. And I thought, you know, for many, many years, I thought, well, it's all about love. We are love. All this, that, and the other. Our true self is love, our true essence. um, God is love, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) Now I'm not saying that that's not true, Mm -hmm. (laughs) what I'm saying is that I see even truth in and of itself is it can only ever be an idea for us.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, yeah, that's not particularly superficial conversation. <laughs> <laughs> <Two checkers. laughs>
1: I don't do superficial conversation. Well, I can't be arsed. <laughs> it bores me stupid. Um, you know, as so, a, so, I love that, that, that everything is an idea and that does just keep revealing itself over and over and over again. I am um, a couple of weeks ago, Phil, I I have a, a very dear friend and, you know, he's, he's going through, you know, some kind of trauma at the moment. And I wasn't in a particularly good state of mind, you know, the day that we spoke. And after our conversation, you know, I kind of held it together, but I don't think I was my most loving and compassionate <laughs> person during that call. Yeah. And, and, and afterwards, you know, all I could hear myself saying was, I thought you cared. I thought you understood. And I caught myself full because any time I hear myself saying, I thought boom, there's the idea, <laughs> there's the made-up nature of life, then I am putting conditions on certain behaviours or the way someone shows up. And it just, you know, and Amir Kirkti and I talked about this, you know, you can either laugh about it or you just put this heavy weight of judgement on yourself. Yeah. And my yeah. preferable way of dealing with this is, I, 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 it's not even my preferable way of of, of, of dealing with it, is it just happens, it's spontaneous. I can't stop laughing because I get to see it again. I get this, this little bubble burst again of, of like you said, <laughs> this idea of who I think I am and how I'm meant to behave and how everybody else is meant to do what they do. And it's just all made up.
0: Absolutely. I, I'm, I have this uh, very strong preference to see my life as a sitcom rather than a documentary. <laughs> very occasionally, it's a tragic rom-com. Um, yeah, very much a comedy rather than any kind of documentary.
1: Yeah. yeah the nature of thought for me is, is hysterically funny, you know, and, and watching people tie themselves up in knots about it you know <laughs> it just i really it's kind of like when you see someone walking along the road and they slip on a piece of ice you know you're not meant to laugh but you do
0: mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh, and whilst at the same time really kind of hoping they haven't hurt themselves
1: of course of course but sometimes that's not my first thought
0: yeah i get it <laughs> No I get it. I'm noticing. Yeah, I feel slightly embarrassed about that as well. I definitely am one of these people that would that would laugh at that.
1: Yeah, just have a wee laugh and then go and find out if they're okay. Because yeah, <laughs> I think it's my nursing background, Phil. I have such a dark zany sense of humour. You know when when I was nursing that you deal with so many things that if you didn't laugh, you know it it, it would really mess you up. Really mess you up.
0: Oh my goodness! my good so one of my one of my clients um is in fact the guy who joined me on tokinfos this year mm-hmm. um, used to be a nurse and mm-hmm. so yes, we talked about some of the stories and isn't that isn't that a great clue by the way there um cl- a clue to what I'm not quite sure, but anyway <laughs> um, it's a it's a lovely little clue in there in that you know nurses tend to use humor to help them yes essentially deal with. All of these, what you know, under any, under many circumstances, people would uh, just horrendous circumstances. Some of the things you know, this guy was telling me about, oh my mm. goodness, how on earth do you even cope with that? And mm-hmm. uh, just do. And uh, I guess humor, you know, I, I've often said laughter is one of life's greatest lubricants, right? So <laughs> I, think,
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know, I'm not going to see what Kim <laughs> <mind. laughs> they'll take me off the air. <laughs> 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 but it is isn't it it's lovely that a smile or laughter it just innately it helps people shift the position that they find themselves in <laughs> I'll take that back you know the, the mental state that they find themselves in
0: yeah it just reminds me this has just come to mind just now um i don't know if you're familiar with the tom hanks film one of his early ones called big where so he's he's basically this little i think like 13 14 year old boy in a man's body Mm -hmm. and um has a girlfriend who obviously is also a a fully grown woman and they Mm -hmm. go to this fairground and they go on this fairground ride which she finds absolutely horrendous. Like they step off this ride or or whatever, and she's like all blue and green. (laughs) And and he just like has so much fun. It's like, again, I can just hear him. I'm like, great come on let's do it again and i kind of wonder i wonder if that's like what 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 that's like the end of our life might be like that we i like to imagine that we get to whatever they are the pearly gates or whatever and whoever is there st peter like gives us a big high five and how how was that for a ride and you're like oh my god that was amazing can you do it again
1: yeah yeah this morning phil do you know i, I know we, we spoke before we came on about scrolling through facebook but, but sometimes in Facebook, you know, people put on these just incredible quotes, you know, that, that are are just so interesting and they do, they, all of a sudden, you just, you see something more deeply. Mm. And <laughs> as I'm speaking to you, I'm trying to scroll through Facebook um, <laughs> and find it. Um, well, here it is. It's, it's a quote by Roald Dahl. And it's so interesting because for the past couple of days, Phil, this has been going through my mind about, you know, the question about how am I living my life? And, you know, am I getting the most out of my life? But but not in a way that is, is like a, a thought that flies in and a thought that flies out. You know, I'm not sitting there with a spreadsheet checking. <laughs> you know, have I done enough of this and have I done enough of that? Anyway, but this, you know, this This quote this morning just it made me smile, and it showed me that that something is coming something is coming up inside of me that is pointing me towards something more deeply and The quote is, "I began to realize how important it was to be an enthusiast in life. if you are interested in something, no matter what it is, go at it full speed, embrace it with both arms, hug it, love it, and above all become passionate about it." Lukewarm is no good.
0: Mm. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And I think that applies to everything. Like, why are we here? (laughs) Like so so human beings have been trying to answer that question for however long, who knows? Mm. Um, Before that, who knows? Right. But for hundreds of thousands of years, you know, what's life about? Who and what is God? Why are we here? My goodness me, I, I, I'm under no illusion that my small little mind can answer those kind of questions. So it's uh, those are fun questions to play with, but to me they're not really anything anything more than that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, why are we here? I don't know. So let's just pick something and and run with that, and let's have it be something that's fun and enjoyable, um, and maybe makes the world a better place because you know we all want to do that, right? Um, so yeah, pick something and run run with it. Live live life, and and and. I have to say, like everything here, we're here to to live life to the full. That includes like the the laughing at the guy who tripped over on the ice, or mm. um, you know those those like total laughing about nothing. I had a bit of a, a, a laugh with my sister yesterday. I, I sent her a very rude joke in front of my, my mother on her phone. Own, so yeah, so we were kind of we were just laughing about that. But, but then we were laughing that we were laughing. You know those yeah. moments <laughs> beautiful. So that's that's wonderful too. But then you know what? Also, we've I'm sure we've all had you know those times of um, you know the fetal position, sobbing on the floor, kind of thing. Yeah. That's all part of life, isn't it? It's 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 all there. It's all part of life. Um, and and, sorry, Phil. On.
1: i was just going to say I really really love that you brought that up because. I mean, you know the title of this podcast is called "Unashamedly Human," and and that's so. What you've just said is is so important um, for me. You know, and I keep talking about this that that we are essence, we are spiritual beings, you know, but we're also in a human form. This is the form that we have whilst we're here on this earth, mm. and to deny to deny the personal because you know about the bigger picture of the impersonal is to deny your experience, to deny the lessons that life will keep giving you and not to be open to those lessons.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah, totally with you on that. I, I mean, I think there's the thing is the circles we mix in Jackie, there's you know, there's there's thousands of people with thousands of different views yeah. and yeah, sure there are there are some particular ideas that tend to get traction and a whole bunch of disciples. Um and you know, I kind of I find all of that fascinating that we're all we're all searching for something that has us think we can understand what's going on
1: yeah <laughs> and there's the joke
0: <laughs> and that is the joke right that's how it looks to me at least anyway yeah. like um i mean i've had some conversations just in the past year it's kind of funny i had some friends out there had conversations and i thought oh he's kind of seeing things the same similar to me like i really see the nature of, um, of beliefs and mm-hmm. so like you know, we touched on earlier in the conversation that for me, it was all about love. Like yeah. before that conversation with Dick and damn him. Right. <laughs> um, it was, it was like, love was the thing. And you know what it still is? Cause like if I'm going to pick an idea to run with through my life, then that that's quite a nice idea. That's quite yes. a nice idea to run through life with. But I see what has me really chuckle. <laughs> even am just thinking about it now, obviously is yeah we're we're kind of like we go through life we're looking for something that has us oh now i get it those moments oh that just real feels true aha finally this is it and i've had a a number of those and it's just fascinating to see like i said, I had those conversations with friends even perhaps a year ago and then i see those same friends who oh no no this is the new this is the new thing now i know there's, there's 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 this one particular idea that I can see everything else as ideas, but this is like truth. And and that just has, I find that actually quite hilarious. Um, because it's like, it's a, that big spiritual hoodwink in yeah. a way. It has us yeah. think, oh, we've got it. We've got it now. I don't mean, know. I, I, I just, I, you know, it's been thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. Yeah, sure. We can understand more and more and more about this physical world that we live in. Goodness gracious. You look at the advances in science and all, all parts of this physical world that we live in that has changed immensely. But I, I, I kind of think, and, and of course I'm just sharing my idea, right? That's kind of mm-hmm. the the yeah. irony here. Mm-hmm. But my idea of this is that I get that maybe that whole spiritual realm is the constant and, I, I, I don't think we can understand it on this side.
1: <laughs> Phil, I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm totally with you on that, and I'm totally with you and what you just described about everyone's searching. And see, to be honest, I, I don't care how anybody becomes more conscious or more awake. Mm. I think we all have portals of understanding that, that, that we go through we slip through what makes sense to us in the moment and sometimes we have these these deep spiritual learnings where we're unable to articulate what's happened and then perhaps you go in the search the intellectual search to to learn how to articulate it or to see what makes sense to you mm-hmm. and at other times we're looking at the intellectual understandings And they pierce through to a deeper spiritual truth. So, you know, I said earlier, you know, the the human form and understanding our experience on earth is just really important to me. But I don't care how people become more consciously awake. I am grateful that there are various teachers out there teaching what they know to be true and teaching it with love and and understanding. That's what's important to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that.
1: Because I know there's been times in my life, Phil, where I've fallen down the rabbit hole and, you know, and and had some kind of big insight without content that's just, you know, like I know something's changed, but I don't know what it is. And all of a sudden it feels like part of my brain's been destroyed. <laughs> Every story that I thought I knew about whatever it was is completely gone. And I'm left, you know, Like I'm just not able to talk Mm. and I am so grateful to have recognised that eventually I will be able to articulate it so I'm not scared of that experience anymore but I'm also grateful that when I'm resting in that deep space that there is an opportunity for me also to to read or to listen to people who don't who, who are teaching from a different space
0: yeah, just taking that in.
1: Because I think it's easy for us to judge others, but even that is a construct. <laughs> it's, do you know what I mean? It's an idea, it's an opinion, it's not actually truth.
0: Yeah. So I went and hung out with a friend of mine in Spain in the summer just for a week or so this year. And she said to me, Phil you're much more opinionated than I thought you would be. (laughs) (laughs) But she also added, as you could see that I didn't actually take my opinions particularly seriously. Um, and yeah, that, that to me, that feels like absolutely spot on. I am very opinionated, I guess. You see that that's what they're made of. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, that's part of the comedy show, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, so so t- more than willing to, I can have some real opinionated discussions, even about politics and um, ideas about love and spiritual. I mean, really, I, and I can get quite worked up about it and can catch myself, as I very often do. Oh, my God, <sighs> fell for it yet again. Yeah. And have a right old chuckle at that.
1: But what you've just highlighted there, Phil, is, is the subtle the subtle nature of thought that even if you, even if you understand or think you understand <laughs> how life works, you know, you could have been learning, you know, about this kind of understanding for 30, 40, 50 years. You don't know all. You're never going to know all you're still going to be given lessons. You're still going to see through the, the illusory nature of thought and the transient nature of thought. And I think for me, that's been, that's one of the greatest joys that every day I wake up and I know I'm going to see something new, you know, either in myself or or, or other people. Like while we've been on this podcast, um, we've had some work done in the garden and a guy is, came to sort of, you know, sort of, um, pollard some trees to let more light in etc and he came up the driveway to be paid
0: <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and he rang the doorbell and he's obviously knocked the back door and i'm sitting here having this beautiful conversation with you <laughs> well he will come back later
0: <laughs> yeah let that life stuff go on out there we'll carry it, carry on here
1: <laughs> do you know but it, it's just that I could have got caught up in like, oh shit, I better oh, there's me speeding again. I better sort of um pause the podcast and go and pay this guy. And I just thought, oh, you know, he he it'll all be fine. Feel
0: well, free, but I'm good with that if you really need to do that, by the way. So
1: Oh no, no, he's left.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You see things always settle out. I mean yeah. you know. I think um what I've what I've seen is we go through these phases of searching and then think, and we found mm. and like this, this, the searching and finding is really just two sides of the same coin mm. that like seems to be some intrinsic desire to understand. Like um, I was going to say man has so politically incorrect now, but he's apparently, so um, yes, humans um, humans have uh, explored Mm-hmm. in a quest for understanding for millennia. Mm-hmm. Um, and goodness me, how much suffering has, has come about from that as well. I mean, lots of good, of course, you know, um, but I, but I know that I'm looking at perhaps even in a spirit sense, my, my spiritual quest also has me suffer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even when I think I have found something, because I am often very, very, very subtly and inadvertently developing some kind of attachment between peace and happiness and love to an idea. And that idea could be, you know, love, self-love, understanding, principles, oneness, non-duality, God. There are thousands of ideas um non-attachment oh goodness me lots of stuff um yet oh by the way a rainbow has just appeared out my window here which is rather (laughs) beautiful um
1: and there you see it the transient nature of thought
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so i was gonna what was i going to say i was distracted by the rainbow just see i noticed that even that and i think this is what dickon was pointing to as well even he probably wasn't aware of the full impact of making this almost throwaway comment is that even those kind of beliefs can have us suffer. And I think because of that kind of attachment, it's like, even when I think, Oh, I found my true self. (laughs) I found my true self, my true essence. And I get that I'm a part of all this. And then we add a therefore. Oh, therefore I can live full out. Therefore I feel peace. Therefore, where we can all live in peace and love and understanding. And to me, I think that the kind of peace that's, that's referenced there is available irrespective of any idea whatsoever. So to me, it looks like searching and indeed the finding have scope for bringing suffering. It's really in the moments where when when we just let go of the search, mm-hmm. let go of the finding that to me looks like that's where free piece is because it's free; it's not attached to anything whatsoever
1: I mean probably like you feel I spent an, you know an awful lot of my life um, searching searching without knowing what it was that I was looking for hmm. and You know, I've studied with some of the, you know, the really great spiritual teachers of our time, NLP, hypnosis, you know, to sort of trainer level. But when I came across the principles, it was, it really took me to a place of of knowing. Hmm. And that, that knowing... At first it kind of settled me, then all of a sudden I developed this kind of like vampire-like thirst to know more about, you know, what is this? Who are these people? What are they talking about? I was convinced it was some kind of blooming cult, you know, because it all just seemed very strange. (laughs) But, But, you know, sort of after a few years of being in and around this understanding... I started to look out with that again, but gently it wasn't that, you know, you get kind of like a hungry search to know, you yeah. know, there's a fear, a fear behind it, Um, bef- you know, but, well for me before I kind of found out about the principles, and then there was a sort of a, a, a loving search that then started to happen, it wasn't a search, it was just like, oh go listen to this guy, or you know, here, listen to this, and um, what do you think of this? And I found my journey taking me to listen to people like um, Eckhart Tolle, who I could not listen to before. I mean, I love his books, but I couldn't. In my head, he just really annoyed me when I listened to him. <laughs> and, um, you know, sort of people, I mean, I've always loved Wayne Dwyer. And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, Sadhguru, I adore. And Muji, I adore. And Gangaji, and, you know, on all sorts of of, of other teachers or spiritual mentors they're all pointing us in that direction of our, our truth and i love what happened especially with listening to urquhart totally my my husband jerry just kills himself laughing at me now because i'm, I'm i often listen to urquhart and i'm killing myself laughing because he's so funny yeah kind of like Muji, kind of like sad guru they're so cheeky and i love that because that's the space I'm coming from in the sense that there's a lightheartedness to life that when you don't, you don't take what's passing through your mind very seriously, it becomes impossible for you to take what's running through somebody else's mind seriously.
0: And you know what I I wonder about, you know, the spiritual teachers that have been and gone, um, mm, the the NLP guys I think it's Bandler Richard Bandler yeah I think he's I think Michael Neal I heard Michael Neal quote him on this one saying Mm -hmm. something like um uh there are hundreds of people all around the world stuck at various stages of my personal development Mm -hmm. and I wonder like um so you and I we hang out in some of the three principles communities on on social media Mm -hmm. and Again, another thing that amuses me is we take somebody else's description of their insight mm-hmm. and we cling on to that as mm-hmm. truth. And I kind of wonder, um, so we talk about the three principles and it was Sid Banks. Sidney Banks had that insight in the, the mid-70s, mid 76, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I kind of wonder whether if he was still around now, he would, he would also be having a right chuckle at how he described what he saw then. Because I think what we see in any moment also has the capacity to change. And I'm open. <laughs> I like to think I'm open anyway, so here's this is, this is an idea I have about myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm open to any belief I have today becoming myth tomorrow, no matter how true that looks.
1: Phil, that is beautiful. And it's so true. Of course it's true. I mean, even think about people like George Pransky. George had a whole host of um, tapes that he did years and years ago, and he took them offline because that wasn't where he was at anymore. (laughs) Yeah. You're right. We can only see what we see, and then we see things more deeply.
0: Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm so often more fascinated by the strength of somebody's conviction rather than the content of it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm that to me dig into that dig into that for me (laughs) that sounds juicy
0: well because uh, like I so I'm I kind of feel like I'm at the opposite end of that I hold on to my belief my opinions mostly quite loosely Uh Uh, I know that that I have them or rather entertain them is probably more correct I entertain these particular beliefs and opinions um you know, and I can talk about, you know, the current political climate and stuff like that at length. I mean, mm-hmm. just this time of recording last week, there was loads going on in uh, British politics, and I, and I, like, fell into this black hole of BBC News for almost a whole day. <laughs> um, Hell mend you. <laughs> yeah. I've managed to crawl out alive, so um, <laughs> this is definitely helping with my recovery, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> But here's the thing is that just seeing the nature of notice of that, noticing all those opinions, Uh some of those things I feel really passionate about. I, I, of course I feel really passionate about some of this stuff because there are things that go on in the world that, um, kill people.
1: Yeah.
0: Now things that go on people, of course, in complete sense, I feel passionate about that. So that's kind of an extreme version. But do um, I feel particularly bothered about you know whether um, a pizza is pizza or if it has pepperoni or not? Not really. In my opinion, it's not really pizza if it doesn't have pepperoni. <laughs> but you know what? Both of those things, they're both opinions of how the world should be. Yeah. Now, I can cling on to either of those two opinions. Like, one, I'd, I'm not really – clearly it matters to me when people like it, we even say that's inhumane, right? That's mm-hmm. inhumane for people to kill each other. Um, most people would have really strong opinions about that. And I'm guessing there probably aren't very many people um, who have a particularly strong opinion about pepperoni or pizza. Are those you do have an opinion about that? Hit me up. We'll go hang out. Um, <laughs> so it's like the strength of the conviction of those opinions that fascinates me much more than the content because mm-hmm. the opinions themselves, they're made of the same stuff. Yeah. The opinions are made of the same stuff. And so once we see that looks to me, like once I know that I'm playing with plasticine, mm-hmm. do you remember plasticine?
1: Yeah, I do actually.
0: Uh, it doesn't to- really matter what the shape is. Like the fun's still the same, right? Oh, mm-hmm. let's make, let's make a pizza, out of plasticine or let's make an airplane. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, we're playing with the same stuff.
1: Hmm. So what you're pointing to there, Phil, is beautiful because that's the basis of your coaching practice, like, and it is mine too, that the content is interesting, but it's not the whole story.
0: Yeah, to an extent. I mean, I mm-hmm. do. <laughs> do you get caught up? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, sometimes I don't entertain the content for quite as long as my clients would like. Mm-hmm. I've had that quite recently, uh, um, and I can... <laughs> um yeah so sometimes it doesn't work out very well because you know that they've got these stories and um
1: but with a lot of people Phil, I'm, it's important it's important for people to eat their stories and, and and in them eating their stories it gives us an opportunity to, to really see where they're coming from
0: yeah and but i think so as a coach I have a. Re- uh, it feels like again another idea. I, I have a. It feels like I have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, to be aware of the extent to which I wanna I want to entertain somebody else's story.
1: But that's intuitive, isn't it? That's the whole point. You very really much so.
0: But you know, sometimes really the intu- right. intuition. My friend Jason Goldberg would describe it. Sometimes your intuition's a bit drunk. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't always get it That's maybe
1: just Jason. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. um, know. So I can see that. Uh that. There are times when um, it just doesn't make sense to me to want to continue entertaining somebody's story with them, whereas to the person in front of me, it really does. and, And that can generate some friction, I guess. And who's to say which is right? I don't know. I
1: mean, don't, don't know which right either Phil but but I know that I do go with my intuition because I know if I am um, I know again know, there's a deeper knowing that the words can't just explain here but yeah. I know yeah. when I'm meant to cut in and I know when I'm not meant to mm-hmm. and sometimes that what was it they called? they called it an NLP it's like a pattern interrupt
0: Mm-hmm. yeah
1: you know cutting someone halfway off in their story gives you an opportunity but it's intuitive you, you, you know I'm not thinking oh, I'm going to do a pattern interrupt here it it sometimes just opens people up to what they're actually creating in the moment and I I, I love that I love seeing that I once did that with a client Phil, and, and honestly she gave me the death stare for about 10 minutes and I thought oh my god she's going to kill me <laughs> She never spoke to me for 10 minutes. And I thought, oh my God. And she had these beautiful, deep, deep, dark eyes. And I thought, oh my God, what's going to happen? So I went into my thinking. And, and, you know, I'm sitting there. And then I settled back down again. And then she just burst out crying. And she said, I didn't realize how I was torturing myself.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. But if you, you
0: know,
1: if you, you really feel it, do it. Um, which is really interesting. Now, I read something about you on your timeline this morning because I I stalked you ever so slightly. Um, It's not a habit I have, but um, I do like to get little bits and pieces for the podcast. And you said that your dad used to love playing classical music to you guys when you were younger.
0: Yeah. Yeah, he did. Um, It's funny, really, because um, up till, in fact, no, just a little over a year ago, um, summer last year. I had a very, very tenuous relationship with my dad. He's not my favorite person in, in the world. You know what I mean? We're very, mm-hmm. very different. Um, but through some stuff that happened like last year, um, I got closer to him and started to understand him much more. So what, what's interesting, if you bring in that up, is I'm noticing that having now seeing my dad through different eyes, Mm-hmm. there are happier memories that kind of make their way through. Mm-hmm. And this is like all related, Jackie, because what, we, what we've been talking about just in this last part is it's not just down to coaches. I think it's for all of us to yeah. see where are we reinforcing, helping somebody to reinforce their story of victimhood mm-hmm. and their story of suffering? Or are we lovingly and compassionately helping them to see what really is? Is going on, and yeah. to see what other options are. And I held grievances against my dad for many years because of a rather silly fight that happened over the telephone um, oh. between his wife, his second wife, so not my mum, but his second wife, and uh, oh. my I think fiance at the time. And he then refused. Apparently, he refused to speak to me for the best part of ten years, and those are probably the toughest 10 years of my life irrespective of what was going on with my dad. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was a, there's a lot of stuff in that I've written at length about this and, you know, there's probably more to share. I could talk about this forever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but then I thought, <laughs> I thought I had forgiven him. I thought I did understand him. Um, you know, probably even this is a long time ago now, but I thought I'd got to that stage. Uh, Trying to think really well. So probably five or six years ago, I thought, "Oh, okay, yeah, I forgive him." I see things from his perspective. I didn't because I never really let him in. Mm-hmm. And that didn't happen until last year. So there was a, an even deeper level of understanding of him. Um, and yeah, it's funny that so the world now, the world of my dad through my eyes now looks completely different. And then through that, there's there's some happier memories making their way through. Mm -hmm. Um, because I guess, so he used to come home from work and, um, we had we were, this is, so this is like late seventies, early eighties, right? So we used to have, um, we used to have our dinner when, um, we got in from school. So like between four and five o'clock, I guess. And then my dad got home like after six, Mm -hmm. so he wouldn't even eat with us seems unimaginable i think nowadays but anyway so he wouldn't eat with us so he'd have his dinner and then he'd go and sit in his chair and he'd actually sit there with headphones on Jackie, for almost mm-hmm. the entire evening and he would just be inaccessible he wasn't available to us
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that was that's like one of that's a, has been a really predominant memory of my childhood with my dad that he just wasn't he wasn't he either wasn't around or when he was around he was inaccessible mm-hmm. And my mum would like reel him out now and again to discipline us. So those were very pleasant memories. But then through a process, what some people might call forgiveness, I could talk about that because I've seen very much that forgiveness is only necessary through the egotistic idea of condemnation. But that's yeah. a whole other subject, right? Mm-hmm. So but forgiveness as a, as a stepping stone, that's great. <laughs> um, but so through that, And I can even look back at that and have real compassion for him. Like what kind of pain was he going through there to want to escape from life, his life? I mean, there was four of us, you know, there's four of our siblings um, and all of him. and he wanted to escape that. And that was his, his way of escaping. The, The guy was pretty unhappy and he was an excellent provider. So I just, it's like, it's amazing really when we take off our, When we take off our victimhood glasses, when we take off our glasses that say, you know, that person was wrong. I'm right. He should have never done this. Mm -hmm. Um, It's amazing how much other stuff there is for us to see.
1: Absolutely.
0: Like, um, instead of like exclaiming, how could he do that? Mm -hmm. I've been asking the question, okay, how could he do that?
1: Thank you for sharing that Phil that's um and I know many people listening will will relate to that because I think many of us have have grown up um with expectations of who we think our parents should be rather than who they actually were and I think one of the, the biggest insights I ever had Phil was in seeing that my mother was doing the best that she could yeah that was huge you know and and I think a lot of people think forgiveness is, you know, sort of forgiving someone else's behavior but when we look at that from the perspective of the principles it's entirely normal for us to have judgmental thoughts and thoughts, you know, judgmental thoughts are just thoughts they, they kind of lower our spirits and everybody has them but it's when we hold on to those judgmental thoughts you know then it's kind of a case of well who suffers <laughs> You know, and and letting go of those judgmental thoughts, and for me, it's not even letting go of them; it's seeing through them.
0: Yeah, seeing absolutely, seeing yeah. through them, seeing what seeing what all of that is made of. The the idea of forgiveness, seeing what that is made of. Um, absolutely, you know. I mean, it, it,
1: sorry, Phil, i was just going to say that when you actually do that, you know, you like you've just described your spirit's lift, and you're able to see what has actually happened with more love and and more compassion
0: goodness gracious it's it's transformed the relationship like i say he's still you know not a guy that uh, i feel endeared to you know if he wasn't my dad mm-hmm. and i probably would never hang out with him but you know there is something there there's that old saying isn't it blood thicker than water or whatever and you know i love him he's my dad and and i and you know what whenever i see him i saw him this saturday actually he's so incredibly pleased just to simply just to, to have me simply visit him for an hour. I mean, it, the guy, he has so much love for us four kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, it's and, and I just, I see, I have compassion now, which I didn't, I wasn't in touch with previously. I think it was there. We'll have the capability of that. Right. But I wasn't in touch with this compassion mm-hmm. for him doing what he thought was best in life and then still screwing up. (laughs) (laughs) How dare he? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because none of us as a parent has ever made a mistake. Um, like he we had these really wonderful conversations i published my first book last year and and he gets a pretty bad press in some of that and mm-hmm. he very graciously accepted a copy and he said well i want to understand and i tried to help him understand that look some of this stuff i wrote years ago mm-hmm. um, and i even i see that differently now um so he we we just had some really lovely conversations and he said, so i guess one of the things here was that he actually said to me um yes, he did do what he he thought was best. And with hindsight, grief, please someone invent hindsight and I can buy it off Amazon. That would be amazing. But um with hindsight, he could he could see that he would like to think he would do things differently. But he said he uh, was he only learned how to parent from his dad, and his dad had yeah. very Victorian ideas about parenting. So it's like we weren't even just one generation apart. We are probably two or three generations apart. I, I guess I've always been willing to be quite progressive a parent and try particularly different ideas. I, I made this really conscious choice when my boy Ben was eight and I mm-hmm. separated from his mother. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I can remember the moment of thinking, I'm done with this authoritarian policing crap. Yeah. I just want to be his friend. That's it. I'm just going to be his friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've enjoyed this wonderful relationship since then. I never felt like that about my dad. And, and I guess because he felt he had to be a parent and therefore he tried his hardest to live into an idea of being a parent. And you know what? I bet that's how he was suffering because yeah. he was really trying his damn hardest to live into this idea of being a parent that he'd learned from his dad, but it wasn't really true to him. Mm mm-hmm. And and there you go. It's like that that malalignment that has us suffer. Mm. I'm just trying to get a bit worked up here, by the way, Jackie. You
1: know, you <laughs> I can tell.
0: Opinion about this?
1: I was just going to say it's time to climb <laughs> off your soapbox, Phil. <laughs> you know, I, I, I love what you've just shared, though. To me, that's beautiful. And again, I know so many people listening to this will get this. And you know, I I had an insight into that years ago. And it's, you, you, you think of, um, you're probably slightly younger than me, Phil, but, but our generation, our parents were alive at the time of the Second World War. Mm-hmm. parents were alive at the time of the First World War. So some, our grandparents, went through the First World War and the Second World War. So without them knowing Phil, some of them became embroiled in this, this culture of fear so that fear wasn't just about what was happening externally with you know with the war but it became to live their lives in a small way to keep themselves safe to keep their families safe to have fixed ideas about things because they felt they could control that yeah
0: yeah so such an important point really And and uh and then you compare that with perhaps, say, like the millennial generation. Yeah. It's uh, quite incredible to see.
1: It is. And, you know, people often say, you know, that the humans are, you know, and I hate this phrase, are, are, are a victim of their times. And I guess that's why you do what you do and I do what I do, is to show people that you're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, you know, we, the baby that showed up here 50 years ago Mm -hmm. um, as me um, basically had everything that the baby that was my dad that showed up 84 years ago almost, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so, but then what happens is we teach them how to um, be scared and to be (laughs) unhappy. Um, and teach teach them um hatred and all all of that kind of stuff,
1: do you know, Phil um you know that I used to be a former midwife, but do you know that babies are only born with two innate fears?
0: Well, oh, I heard this before. is it like loud noises and and falling from falling,
1: falling. Yeah. Ah, that's that's where you remember so you remember your own children this sort of startle reflex mm. the startle yeah. reflex can only come in a baby from. The fear of falling, and um, loud noises. The rest of it we learn.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? it it's inc- is. incredible. Uh, like I, I was giving a talk um, last week, suggesting that we 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 never really learn to be happy. We just learn to be unhappy. <laughs> that's quite a sweeping statement, right? There was one person in the audience like, "You bastard!" You know, it was like. That's not true. But like, look at it. I mean, babies are happy at everything. They're happy at gas. I mean, just really pretty much everything. Uh-huh. The it is. And yet, then what do we do? We teach them that, well, you know, when, when you can only be happy if this happens or, or when this happens, you're meant to be unhappy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yes, yeah, so it looks to me like the crux of our work is helping people to see what all of those rules are made of.
1: Yeah. Nothingness. <laughs> <laughs> Phil thank you so much for being a guest on the Unashamedly Human podcast I could talk to you for hours uh,
0: thank you so much thoroughly enjoyed it Jackie it's been yeah, wonderful
1: beautiful conversation and I, I guess you know some of the takeaways for us here are <laughs> just settling into life recognizing our own humanness and the humanness of others and you know love Love, whatever that means to you in any given moment of time is, is the answer. Because in that love, there is no judgment. Thank you again, Phil.
0: Thank you, Jackie. You could be larger than life